What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 54th episode of the Promenade Merchants Podcast. I'm David Majors, and I'm joined by my co-host, Heather Kirby. Heather, this is a monumental episode. <laughs> monumental? You know why? No. Monumental. <laughs> because this will be the last episode of the podcast that we do after 48 consecutive weeks of brand new Star Trek content. We've had new Star Trek for nearly a year for every week, and it's been awesome. But after this episode, we're, we're going to be back in, in, the, in the expanse where there's no new Star Trek to talk about for a little while, at least until Lower Deck starts, because we are coming to the end of season one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which we are definitely going to talk about in new business later on. See, you're just making that sound like, you know, that's a we're heading into this dry spell. It, it, we still have new Star Trek coming. I just want to reiterate that right now. We know we have new Star Trek coming. It is not going to be a huge, long, dry spell without Star Trek. I think we'll be fine. I, I'm, I feel like I'm already in that episode from Enterprise where it's just that, that empty blackness or, or Voyager had an episode like that. And I'm already starting to crack. <laughs> See, and they say women are too dramatic. Come on now. Come on. No, no, no. I, I'm I'm very emotional. That that's mm -hmm. that's no secret to anybody. Uh but let's just jump in. Uh for new listeners of the show, we have a three-act format. We start with the old business where we cover everything from the cage to the Kelvin movies. Uh new business, which we'll talk about later, is things that are happening currently in Star Trek and upcoming is what is happening with Star Trek later on in the future. Like with Lower Decks, hopefully coming very, very soon. So, Heather, I loved this topic that you came up with for old business. I know I say that every episode when you come up with something, <laughs> but I genuinely mean it every single time. I love this topic. I love what you came up with. So please, Heather, you have the con. Well, you know, I'm not wanting to spoil what we're going to be talking about in new business entirely. It seemed very fitting this week that we, in old business, address the Romulans. Because the Romulans are such a, you know, they're, they're a very unique uh, alien race within Star Trek. And they've been around since the original series. But they always have an air of mystery and villainous to them. And I kind of have a, 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 an appreciation for the Romulans in that way. So I figured we would discuss our favorite Romulan episodes slash moments throughout classic Star Trek. One might call them enigmatic, the Romulans. Uh, we, we still, even now, we kind of only recently started learning a lot about them uh, in the current era of Star Trek. But Heather, like you said, they've been here since the very beginning. They have been an adversary to the Federation, uh, the occasional ally, and always a bit contentious will say the Romulans. Uh, but I really like this topic because I feel like in a lot of cases, some of Star Trek's best episodes usually involved the Romulans, not the Klingons, not the Borg, but the Romulans. And I'm going to start with one of my favorite episodes from the next generation, Heather, and that's the enemy. Uh, and that was the episode from season three where Jordy LaForge and a Romulan officer were stranded on a planet and they had to work together to survive. Uh, and the Romulan Warbird, as well as the Enterprise D, had to go through what you might call a, a one episode Cold War between the Federation and the Romulans. And 
I've always really liked these episodes between the Federation and the Romulans where it feels like they're just about to break out to war again, but they always find a way to pull back. And and even the Romulans who are always about conquering and espionage and keeping your enemies closer, uh, they always find a way to pull themselves back from the brink. And I, I always liked this episode from TNG, The Enemy. I, this is definitely a, a very classic uh, episode and a good Romulan episode. And it, it's one, I, I can't remember if it's the first episode we see him in, but it's one of the episodes that has uh, Andreas Katsoulis as the Romulan Admiral, whatever. Tomalak? Right? Tomalak? Yes, Tomalak. There you go. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, he the, is fantastic. The, the nemesis of Jean-Luc Picard for a lot of those episodes. He, he was maybe the first real antagonist that TNG had through uh, the Romulans that was just like a central, central figure, uh, Tomalak. And that, that, was, that was a really good episode. And uh, I, I always loved that. This episode, even as a kid, I remember this episode uh, really stuck with me because it reminded me that someone that you might not agree with uh, or someone that might not be on the same side as you, uh, you might be able to find some common ground with them, even if it is a a life-threatening crisis. Sometimes it takes a life-threatening crisis, but... You can find common ground every now and then, and that's kind of cool, in my opinion. Uh, that, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Now, my pick also comes from TNG, and is also a kind of a, a, along a similar vein as that, because it would be uh, Face of the Enemy. Yes. Which is probably most people would agree is hands down the best Deanna Troy episode. Most definitely. Yeah. It, it actually gives her some really cool, exciting stuff to do. And she's not just playing damsel in distress or, or counselor in peril. Yeah. But uh, like one of the reasons why I really love this episode is that it, it kind of gives you and and I mean... Uh, like unification came before it, so we got to see the Romulan Romulus and and their home world and their life on their planet or whatever. But this, like her, actually being being inserted into the ship, gives you a more personal view of the way Romulans act around each other, especially the type of Romulans that they would be facing as adversaries. So I think that's a, a really neat highlight of it and and the really important part of the episode i loved that this episode really gave deanna troy an opportunity to show that she is a trained starfleet officer and can do the things that the rest of the crew would do that that was the one thing that I really remember the most about that episode. It was that it was Troy that was on what was essentially a very dangerous mission. And she handled herself pretty well. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, she definitely did. Um, okay, Heather, now since this is the Promenade Merchants podcast, and I will continue to pound the love of Deep Space Nine into everyone's heads until people get it. I'm going to mention two moments from Deep Space Nine involving the Romulans. Uh, The first one is, I believe I've said many times, this is probably my personal favorite single episode of DS9. Uh, From season seven, uh, Inter Arma Enum Silent Legus. This is the Dr. Bashir Admiral Ross Section 31 episode that I have talked about over and over and over and over again on multiple podcasts. Uh, But it was about Dr. Bashir and Admiral Ross working with a Romulan senator uh, 
because there were issues going on with the Romulan Senate and the Tal Shiar. And it was a cool kind of maybe not necessarily a, a fight between Section 31 and the Tal Shiar, but we saw that what happens with the Romulan Empire is so deep and so fundamental. All of this deception and espionage, it's so fundamental to what makes the Romulans who they are. Uh, you really got to see what Romulan politics really looked like, uh, probably for the first time since unification. And I just loved everything about this episode. And we saw many different sides of it. We saw that they are still very not exactly in love with the Federation, even during the, the war with the Dominion, uh, which I'll talk about a little bit later. And that at the end of the day, the Romulans, like Admiral Ross said about uh, his friend, the senator, uh, they are patriots and they think of themselves first. Uh, the the DS9 episode that I will never stop talking about, Inter Arma Enum Silent Legus. Yes, it, it, it's a fantastic episode and also one of my favorites. And I, I agree with all of that. Um, it, it, it's a awesome political dive into the Romulans, for sure. Now, of course, Heather, we cannot go without mentioning Senator Vrenak from In the Pale Moonlight. <laughs> what? No, it's real! Don't you understand? It's real! But I loved that scene so much uh, in this episode in Senator Vrenak. Not for that part, but the part where... Captain Sisko is trying to talk to Vrenak to try and convince him to get the Romulans to enter the war. And he is just sitting there giving Sisko absolutely no rope at all. And he's having that Romulan drink and, and he smells it and he insults the drink and says, it really is a fine aroma. But at the same time, he's like, yeah, but it's it's not quite the real thing. And and he comes into the station and dresses down Captain Sisko. And here we have this Romulan senator just looking down on everything. And I thought that it was just a fantastic performance. And uh, Vrenak, in my opinion, was a, a one episode wonder. But it's a legendary Star Trek episode with a great character that that really made it click oh absolutely i i mean there's no doubt about that uh it did it, it, it's legendary for sure um and, and and that's what one of the interesting things when we're sitting there and talking about the the romulans is that there's so many legendary episodes that the romulans have really been involved in I, and i mean we just touched on TNG and Deep Space Nine, uh, one of, as I have said multiple times on the podcast, one of my personal favorite episodes of Enterprise is the three-episode arc in which the Romulans are basically trying to destabilize the entire Alpha Quadrant without anyone actually seeing them and knowing who they are, which is a huge aspect of the type of people the Romulans are, which is just so mysterious and sneaky and cool. They, and they then, work in the shadows. And then leaning into what we will likely talk about more in new business is the legendary TOS episodes of both the Enterprise Incident and Balance of Terror, which are some of the best episodes of TOS. So the Romulans have Indeed. always been there and been involved in classic episodes of Star Trek. And they deserve the level of respect that they're getting in the current era of Star Trek, whether it was the 2009 movie uh, Gen um, Genesis Nemesis. Uh, 
and the list goes on. Uh, Star Trek Picard's first season, so much involving the Romulans now uh, because they've always been uh, a significant race. Uh, are they as popular in the mainstream as like the Klingons or maybe the Borg? No, but they've always been there. And, and I'm glad to see that they're getting some real respect in this current era. I'd say, Heather. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, we can even talk about that when you look at the in the 32nd century and discovery and having Romulus, the Romulans and Vulcans finally unified again on the VAR. I mean, that that that's just like taking little threads of what has happened through this race throughout the Star Trek universe and bringing it all together on discovery. Like they're definitely they're they're getting respect in the new era for sure. And it's all canon, baby. It's all canon. Okay, now let's jump into new business, Heather. And let's talk about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, season one, episode nine, All Who Wander. The Enterprise is en route to Deep Space K-7, where it receives another priority assignment to investigate the missing USS Peregrine. While Enterprise continues to K-7, Captain Pike leads an away team to an ice planet where they find the grounded Peregrine. Hammer and Uhura restore the ship's systems, while Pike learns that it was carrying three refugees and a whole lot more. It's another Gorn episode, everybody. Yeah. You know, I gotta say, the one thing that I've come out with from this episode is that they've done a really good job rebuilding the Gorn and refreshing the Gorn as a genuine threat. They've done a really good job with that this season. And... I, I will give them credit for that in this episode. That that is that is the one thing I will say that I think they've done a really good job with the Gorn, and there was a lot of suspense, and they're doing a really good job with suspense in this episode. And I think that's that's all I'm going to say on my end, Heather. I know that one particular thing in this episode you had quite an issue with, as did I. It really caught me off guard and took me by surprise. So we need to talk about Chief Engineer Hammer. We need to talk about that. Yes. Yes, we do. Okay. I'm going to start out this rant by saying I have tried... To be open and reasonable in the stories that Strange New Worlds has wanted to tell this season. I have really tried, but one of the reasons, the biggest reasons as to why I was apprehensive about this show was that it seemed like they wanted to make a show built around Pike and Spock. And everybody else was going to be secondary. And I have tried to see the positives in this show, like getting to know a lot of the other characters. And there has been a lot of balance, I think, throughout the the first season. But these last two episodes of the first season made it very clear to me that my fears about what this show was going to be were right on point. Um, that it was going to be Pike and Spock. Primarily about Pike and Spock, yes. Uh, they... I, okay, let me explain this. If you have not watched these last two episodes of Strange New Worlds, skip ahead. Okay, because the, the, these are things you shouldn't be spoiled about. Uh, but Hemmer dies in this episode. Um, I am not happy with the fact that Hemmer died. Uh, he was introduced to us as the chief engineer of the Enterprise. It, they made a point of casting a 
visually disabled actor as a visually disabled character, which was really important and a huge step forward in representation. And then here in the second to last episode of the first season, they kill him off. And the thing that really bothers me the most about this is that this was their plan the entire time was to kill him off because the interviews that Bruce Horak did, which uh, this is just my secondhand knowledge of the interviews because I could not bring myself to actually watch the interviews. I'm sorry. I was just really that upset. But the interviews that Bruce did stated that this was their intention and they told him up front that they were going to kill the character off in the first season. Um, I have an issue with that. Okay. This is the first time you you have actually had a huge step forward in disability representation, a disabled character who is entirely competent and well-versed at his job, also being played by a disabled actor. And your plan all along was to kill him. To me, that says that you did not value that character in the first place. And so they really don't understand how much of a value that character had in the first place. And I, 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 I'm just, I, I'm so angry at that because this is why representation is important. And this is why it's an issue when things like this happen because people who see themselves in that character are also seeing themselves not valuing that character. And that's how a lot of people like that feel in the real world. Okay, that they're treated differently because they are disabled. They are treated with less value. And you just did that to that character. I would have no issue. Like, like I don't have an issue with the story and what happened and Hammer ultimately dying because I think it was well-written and well-plotted out. I have an issue with the fact that it happened in episode nine of season one. Had this happened in like season three, after three years of getting to know and love this character, it 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 would have weight to it, and it wouldn't be an issue. But you can't even let him last the entire season. Why? Why? I think everything you're saying is a hundred percent valid. I could not agree with you more. I think that. Not just for Star Trek fans that might have a visual disability. I think that he was just a character that people liked and people were gravitating towards. And to do that uh, in the second to last episode of the first season, uh, it's it's really egregious. It's it's one of the worst things that is, in my opinion, happened in the franchise. It's. It's right up there with Tasha Yar, in my opinion. It's 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 pretty egregious. It's pretty bad. Um, and to your point about what Hammer meant to you, Heather, um, I will try to empathize a little bit and bring it back to DS Nine just for a second. Uh, in the nineties, um, Benjamin Sisko and his son Jake were a very rare example on television of a black father and son. And this was something that resonated with me in the 90s, being raised by my father. And at the end of Deep Space Nine, Benjamin Sisko goes off to the Celestial Temple. Essentially, he's gone. And the point that they made was, and Ira Bear has even talked about this later on, and, and others that were involved with DS9 later on have talked about this, uh, the stereotypical uh, absent black father, which was a stereotype that even that had very little actual data on it to begin with. Uh, at the end of DS9, 
Ben Sisko was gone from Jake's life. And in retrospect, that was a problem because in the 90s, Ben and Jake Sisko were such a significant pairing to see on television then at the time. So when I saw that happen and then I thought about it in retrospect, that was a pretty egregious thing that Star Trek did. So when you have something that means more to you than it might to others, and then for a franchise that you expect to be better to take that away from you, you have every right, in my opinion, Heather. And I'm not just saying this as your friend, as your co-host. I'm not just saying this. You have every right to be completely pissed off right now. And I think that this really is one of the worst moves in that the franchise has done in a long, long time. I mean, there's been there's been multiple characters throughout Star Trek that I've connected with in in some way, shape, or form. Um, as but as someone who was born with a form of albinism, which is what Anars are, basically the albino form of Andorians, oh, and you're someone right. who you're right has a visual disability because of that, which is also what Anars are. It, it, it's like he was the closest thing I got to someone who was very much like me. <laughs> and I'm just... I, I, I'm upset, I'm angry, and I'm extremely disappointed with what they did with the character. And what Star Trek did to you and to many others, it hurt. It's, it's hurtful and it's dismissive and it's, it's a really, really bad look. And I know that they have said in interviews, uh, Bruce Horak himself and producers of strange new worlds have said that he will be back uh, within Star Trek, that they will bring him back. But I know that probably isn't the best consolation for you. Yeah, I, I mean, he, he's not going to be back in the same character. So it, it, it's, it's not a real good consolation. And, uh, and like I said, I, I've heard many different takes from people about how, oh, well, you know, since that was what they planned for the, for the beginning, I'm okay with it. Like my, my view is, the fact that they planned that from the beginning is my biggest issue. If it was something that came up along as they were writing, or if, if Bruce had an issue with makeup, which has happened in some of the new newer series because they use more extensive makeup, and so they decided to write the character out, I wouldn't have had a bigger issue. <laughs> but the fact that that was their plan for his character from the beginning is part of my issue because that means that they didn't value uh, what that character would mean to people from the very start. And in my opinion, that's really fucked up. They are taking these characters that they introduced to us uh, like Hammer and like La'an Nunyan Singh and for all intents and purposes, already writing them off. And for what reason? And I'm going to get into that when we get into episode 10, because while my overall feelings on season one of Strange New Worlds are pretty positive, what I saw from episode 10 left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth, Heather. And that was let me pull it up here. Um what was episode 10 called again? A Quality of Mercy. When the Enterprise and the USS Cayuga provide supplies to Outpost 4 along the Romulan Neutrozone, Pike accidentally meets one of the cadets he will sacrifice himself for in the future and decides to send warnings to them to prevent the accident from happening. And he is then met by an older version of himself where the accident does not happen. Future Pike shows current Pike the consequences of his decision seven years in the future. 
My issue with this episode is that while there were some positives, I think they did a very good job of bringing in some moments from TOS and they did a great job with the Romulans again. One, not just Hammer, but now La'an, who is on another ship and we have two characters that were introduced to us uh, have already been kind of put aside and we see entering the series now as we knew for season two we saw james kirk played by paul wesley and also the the thing that really caught me off guard was during this episode spock was doing repairs and he was speaking to a gentleman with a scottish accent and my thought was Wow, okay. Are, are they just really throwing Hammer aside that quickly and, and bringing in Scotty to start season two? Like, they're, they really just moved on that quickly. And that, that bugged me. That did bug me. Um, and, and we didn't even get to see who that was. It was just a voice, a disembodied voice with a Scottish accent. Well, and also now... I, sorry, I'm, go ahead. I mean, you know, this episode was set seven years in the future, right? Yeah, yeah. But we still don't have a chief engineer in the current timeline. But and like there was an article or I, I want to say I don't listen and I forget who it was that said it. Um, well, basically, we know La'an's in season two. Lon's in season two. Okay. Okay. All right. Because we've seen she was there filming in, in Toronto. So they did not completely write Laon off. Laon okay. is in season I was, two. I was not aware. Um, but they also stated in, in one of the interviews that one of the producers or whatever was doing stated that they are not casting Scotty. Scotty is gonna not going to be the next oh. chief engineer of the Enterprise. It will be someone different, which is why you did not see Scotty in that episode. All you heard was the Scottish accent in that voice, because clearly at that time, seven years in the future, Scotty is the engineer on the Enterprise. But they are not bringing Scotty in for season two. It is going to be someone entirely different. So they stated so that in the interviews. So there's no Scotty. Number one. And in season two, we'll have a new chief engineer. Yeah. So, Heather, I'm going to ask the question you've probably already asked yourself. Why didn't they just keep Hammer in the fucking first place? <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's what I would like to know. Um, look, I... I have a hard time with the finale mainly because for the most part i really enjoyed the story um i love the way they weave it into balance of terror and basically retold the story in an alternate way um so pike could see the impact of of what would happen if he was there uh so i i really loved the story that they told um, I have a couple of major issues with it, though. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question just to start off. How did you feel about Paul Wesley's James Kirk? I didn't hate him. <laughs> yeah, I, same, pretty much. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't hate him, and you have to, I know there's a lot of criticism flying around about his Kirk. Uh, but you have to understand, it's not the same James Kirk. It's an alternate universe's James Kirk. So he's going to be slightly different from Shatner's and Pine's because he's not commanding the Enterprise in this instance. Um, he's a slightly different person. He did show some signs of evolving into the character we know as James Kirk. But I also want to be very forward in the fact that James Kirk is not my favorite character. 
So my opinion is not probably the one that matters. <laughs> okay, follow up on that one then. I don't think I've ever asked you this. How do you feel about Chris Pine's James Kirk? Uh, I like Chris Pine's James Kirk better than Shatner's. Uh, but he's very young and very brash and very impulsive. And it's one of the reasons why Beyond is probably my favorite uh, Kelvin Timeline movie. Because Beyond is finally the one where he really feels the weight of decisions and of command that he has to make and deal with uh, on a regular basis. And uh, I, I think that weight brings the character down to a more reasonable and manageable level. Okay. All right. All right. Um, I would say right now I have a really hard time deciding how I feel about Jim Kirk in Strange New Worlds after this episode. I feel like we only just scratched the surface. Uh, it was confirmed that Paul Wesley will be in season two as Kirk. I'm wondering how much of him we'll see. I, I am going to reserve judgment, but overall, I thought he was fine. He well, was not exactly the same as Shatner or Pine, and I was okay with that. I didn't expect him to be that. Well, here's I, I, here's the thing, and my fear with continuing to involve Kirk in this show is that it's ultimately going to morph into uh, TOS 2.0. And I'm not interested in that. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of people think they are. A lot of people think that's what they want. I don't know if it's that's what they actually want. Because people thought that's what they were getting with Strange New Worlds and well, it hasn't been that. Um, and I don't want that. I, I don't want this to turn into TOS 2.0. Um, I infinitely like Anson Mount's Christopher Pike more than any incarnation of James Tiberius Kirk ever. Uh, and I, I would like him to stay around for a while. I really would. Uh, I think that we have a lot to address. We... Una got arrested at uh, the end of this episode. Okay. Speaking of that. Yeah. These are my two biggest issues, which really kind of soured me on a whole as the episode on the episode. Cause like I said, I like the story uh, with the alternate timeline and, and Pike discovering what would happen if he saved himself. Um, my two biggest episodes is or issues is the fact that one if pike lives spock dies in every iteration of the universe <laughs> so pike's yeah. only motivation for actually following through on his fate is so spike spock doesn't die um i i i feel i like that just seems kind of romantic in a way <laughs> and mm. not actually very moral um i i would have liked pike to come around i guess really i interpreted that a little bit differently in a better way um than just saving someone he cared about like i i think i i i, I don't know there's just something about that that rubs me the wrong way um, I, I guess I interpreted that a little bit differently because while yes, Spock dying was definitely a factor, I think that he saw that the Romulan war was going to re-escalate and, and restart uh, with future Pike telling him that it's still going on and millions will die and, and this war is really, really bad. I feel like that 
must have been a factor too. I, I, I don't think Christopher Pike has always been so singularly driven. I, I, I guess I interpreted that scene a little bit differently. Um, also, no secret, Spock is the most important character in the franchise. And they made this in such a way that they really tied his entire history together uh, with future Pike having the time crystal. And I'm imagining the Klingon monks showing him everything that Spock would do in his life and all of the things Spock would influence, which is why I guess uh, in, in the scene where he first showed up, he mentioned, who do you think sent me here? It was the Klingon monks. Yeah. And I, I feel like that future Pike was trying to explain that it, it's it's a much bigger picture than just his own life, Pike's own life and some cadets. And there was a lot more going on than it just being saving his buddy Spock. It was a much bigger picture. That's how I interpreted it anyway. I I mean, I, I can see that, but the way the story was framed, like that they did not show that the one of the impacts of him living in that situation is the fact that Spock would die until the very end. And so it seemed like the fact that Spock died, him finding out that Spock died in every iteration of the universe where he continues to live past that accident, uh, made them framing that at the very end of the story made it seem like that was ultimately the reason he decided to delete it. Does that make sense? Hmm. I, I I do get what you're coming from. I do. I do get where you're coming from. Uh, I, I can see both sides of, of it. I, I definitely can. Um so so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I disagree with you because I, I do understand where you're coming from. Uh, but I do think that future Pike probably got a lot from the Klingon monks that he didn't want to tell current Pike because it might alter the timeline even further. But, okay. So that aside, my other major issue with this episode is the fact that Una got arrested at the end of it. (laughs) Yeah, what the hell? I mean, that made me so fucking angry. Like, we, especially after Hammer dying in episode nine. And then we had a very nice and really awesome story for the season finale. And then like, and this is just my opinion. Okay. But in my opinion, it ruined how I felt about the season finale to see Una get arrested at the very end. Like we talked about it back when we talked about Ghost of Illyria, how much Una is another character that I have personally related to because of her genetic alterations and me having a genetic disorder. So I I, I just sat there and went, what the fuck, Strange New World? Seriously? Like, you're really trying to make me hate you. (laughs) Really, really (laughs) trying. And you're succeeding. I don't know and, and and this is another like really annoying part about how they marketed this show was that it was supposed to be based around number one Pike and Spock but it's been based around Pike and Spock and Una has been second Number one is the character that we knew the least about going into you season even one make the case you could even make the case that it's Pike, Spock, and La'an before Una. Like, n- number one is the original series character that we knew the least about, and we still know the least about at the end of season one. And now yep. she's getting hauled off the Enterprise by Starfleet, and I'm so fucking angry <laughs> at that, too. So... 
yeah i i i'm just i'm it is once again another example of how strange new worlds has treated their characters that are really examples of representation and they're not treating them in a good way and it's not making me feel very good about the show at all i totally get that i totally get that I was just stunned. Uh, one, that they actually did that. And two, they did that not long after Lower Decks did the same thing with Captain Freeman. That feels like a little bit of a quality control problem. I feel like what happened there absolutely could have been saved for season two. That is something that they could have done in season two, where Una gets arrested, they turn it into a classic Star Trek trial episode, and it goes from there. For it to end on that, and I understand Star Trek seasons for years have always ended on some kind of cliffhanger. To pick that as your cliffhanger it's not a good look it really isn't a good look uh especially as if we've both talked about on this podcast una chin riley has not really been fleshed out as a character yet we still know very little about her and they damn well better make a highlight of her in season two uh same goes for ortegas uh same goes for dr Menga, especially now that his daughter's gone these characters better get more highlighted more otherwise strange new worlds is gonna fall off a cliff i i'm just uh yeah, I like I said, it was my fear going into the season that as much as they announced these characters that I was really excited and really wanting to learn more about, um, I ultimately wasn't going to get it. And the end of season one uh, fully realized my fear on that. So I feel like... They met my expectations, and for that, I'm really disappointed. Because I didn't want that to happen. I wanted them to exceed my expectations. And in my case, they kind of let me down. They kind of let me down. We got one new character that really got some depth to them. Two, if you count Dr. Mbenga. I guess. It'd still be kind of stretching it on his part. But overall, you were right, Heather, that they didn't do nearly enough with the rest of the cast. And if this was going to be a show revolving around Christopher Pike and Spock, then, as I said early on, then it could have been on network television for a mainstream audience. And I hate saying that especially because... I have absolutely loved Ethan Peck's performance as Spock since Discovery. And I don't want to take that away from him. I think he has taken this role and absolutely run, taken the ball and run with it and has done an outstanding job with the character. But this is an ensemble cast and they're falling into the trap that the original series fell into. And that the next generation kind of fell into at times with Picard and Lieutenant Commander Data. And when you have an ensemble cast, you have to make sure that the entire cast plays a role. And they have moments and episodes where they are all shown to be an important part of the crew. And... Strange New World Season 1 didn't succeed at that to my hopes and expectations. So it lived up to your expectations and it kind of let me down. Overall, 
I did not dislike the season by any means. I, I had a lot of fun with season one, but I have really high expectations for season two. It better be. A, it, they better fix a lot of these things. You know, I, I, I would like to say that they will, but here's, and, and, and look, I don't want to sound critical of other Star Trek fans. You're, you're welcome to like what, what you like. And I'm glad people like and support Strange New Worlds. But I think there's a lot of people that approach it with rose tinted glasses and they're not willing to actually see and recognize and talk about some of the issues that we've discussed about the series in, on this podcast. And it needs to be discussed in order for them to hopefully improve it going forward. If we're just going to sit there and rant and rave about, Oh, how amazing strange new worlds is. They're not going to change a damn thing. So I'm going to continue to be vocal about the fact that I'm extremely disappointed with how they treated disability representation in season one of strange new worlds. I am extremely upset and angry about how they treated their genetically altered character in season one of Strange New Worlds. And I'm going to continue to be vocal about it. And I would really stress and urge other people to be open to listening to those criticisms because I'm not trying to trash the show. I love Star Trek, but I want Star Trek to respect and represent me as well as everyone else. And Strange New Worlds did not do that. And so I have every right to talk about it. And I want people, even if they don't understand my opinion or my views, to at least be open to listening about it so we can have a dialogue about these issues. And it will hopefully change for season two. And you will have every opportunity to say what you need to about Star Trek on this podcast. As for me, Strange New World season one, I was, I feel like I am able to praise and criticize the acting performances. In my opinion, they were all across the board. Fantastic. I believe Anson Mount, Ethan Peck, and Christina Chong all had fantastic acting performances. Babs Olasan McCoon and Melissa Navia, what they were given, they worked with really well. I think Bruce Horak did a fantastic job uh, being the only alien character, uh, the only alien regular character in this season. Dealing with the makeup, being in engineering, uh, in a lot of times being isolated and oftentimes just not showing up at all. The cast as a whole, as actors, in my opinion, did some great stuff. And there were times where I really enjoyed the show. But there were times where my expectations for the show were not met. The character that I think both Heather and I were most interested in was Unichin Riley, number one. I, I wanted to see how much they would flesh out of her character just as much as anybody else. And they better do that in season two. They better. And I feel like every I echo everything Heather has already said. And I'm looking at Strange New Worlds and I'm saying this was an okay season one. Every Star Trek show's first season almost always has a lot of glaring flaws that need to be worked on. And Strange New Worlds is no different. There was, in my opinion, there was a lot of good. There was a lot of entertaining, good Star Trek television in season one. but you damn well better believe that there are things that are going that need to be worked on and 
I'm not afraid to praise as well as criticize. I can I can be the good cop and the bad cop if I have to. And Heather, you are welcome to criticize this show as much as you need to. I may not always 100% agree, but I will damn sure have your back. And you absolutely can do that here. And if other Star Trek fans have a problem with it, well, that's just too damn bad. This is our podcast. (laughs) That's right. That's right. See, I told you I had your back. (laughs) Okay. All right. I think that... That'll, that'll cover it. Wow. We we <laughs> almost did like a whole normal sized episode with just the old business and the new, <laughs> uh, which reminds me that now that season one of Strange New Worlds is over, we don't have any Star Trek coming. I, I know. Lower Decks is coming. Lower Decks is coming. I'm fine. I swear. I'm fine, everybody. I'm fine. So let's talk about upcoming business. San Diego Comic-Con is coming, and and Heather, you brought this to my attention because, I don't know, for whatever reason, I'm so used to San Diego Comic-Con being later in the year. I don't know. It's always been in July. I think they just changed it for the COVID. (laughs) I'm I'm taking your word for it. I'm 100% taking your word for it. I've I've got two conventions that I'm planning for, so I've I've been lost in the clouds. So, San Diego Comic-Con, Lower Decks, Picard, and I believe Strange New Worlds? Yes. And Strange New Worlds will all be there, hopefully making some announcements, giving us some teasers, some trailers, and some news. Uh, Yeah, you know, I I fully expect we're going to get a season three premiere date for Lower Decks at San Diego Comic-Con. It's in a couple weeks at the end of July. So it's the right time to sit there and say, oh, hey, we're premiering in in August. Here's your date for it. Um, I I fully expect we'll get a full trailer for season three of Lower Decks. Um, We will probably get a teaser trailer for season three of Picard. Uh, because we know for a fact that that is fully filmed. So they definitely have enough footage to do a teaser trailer for that and a potential air date for season three of Picard. And we know that season two of Strange New Worlds just wrapped filming. So we may get some sort of teaser for them as well, Um, at least from whatever stuff has been through the editing bay so far there. So that's exciting. Very exciting. It is exciting. It is exciting. Uh, I, I'm glad that we have something. And I've mentioned Lower Decks a few times. So I will mention that uh, I watched The Ready Room to wrap up season one of Strange New Worlds. And credit to Phil Wheaton with The Ready Room, they always include a little teaser, a little taste of what's coming next. And the teaser that was in this episode of The Ready Room was actually a little bit of Lower Decks. And it turns out our boy Bradward Boimler has a family vineyard himself. What? Yes. Boimler was at his family vineyard because the crew of the Cerritos have been grounded uh, after Captain Freeman's arrest. And he's out there picking grapes and Mariner comes along and and they're talking about everything that happened. But in between all of this, these various attractive young ladies are all going out of their way to get Boimler's attention at the vineyard, asking asking him about wine and grapes and all of this stuff. And and Boimler's just blowing them off like, I hate this. I hate this vineyard i want to be back out in space and mariner's kind of the same like obviously her mom's been arrested and they're ready to get back out there and it is just hilarious seeing these women throwing themselves at boimler and he's just 
zero interested in. Of course, because it's Lower Decks and Mike McMahon is a super fan of The Next Generation, of course they put it at a vineyard, because of course. Of course. (laughs) But it was very amusing. It was very amusing. Uh, I would say that I probably got more of a kick out of this teaser than the teaser that we saw at Mission Chicago where they were playing the tabletop game with Chancellor Martok. Ah, uh, see, I, di- I didn't see either of those. <laughs> so, you weren't at the lower decks panel? No, I was sitting there waiting in line to get uh, Kate Mulger's autograph, so I missed the lower uh, decks panel. Okay, all right. It was rowdy. It was rowdy. It was a lot of fun. As one would have expected it to be. So, yes. So, yes, please give us a date for Lower Decks at San Diego Comic-Con, please. Another thing that I've been looking forward to is the video game Star Trek Resurgence from Dramatic Games. And IGN did an interview with the developers of the game, uh, Kent Muddle and the lead writer, Dan Martin. And this 20-minute interview, and I'll put it in the show notes, uh, Dan Dan Martin was the writer of the show, and he 100% is, in every sense, a Trekkie. He he has movie posters on his wall, and he even said in the the interview, that's not just for show. I, I have these. These are mine. And it takes place... After Star Trek Nemesis, and it is an entirely new story with entirely new characters. Um, Heather, did you ever play? Uh, I don't know how much of a gamer you are, or if you watch them on Twitch or anything. Did you ever play any of the Telltale games, like The Walking Dead or or the Batman games? Did you ever play any of those? We'll we'll just say it for the record right now. I am not a gamer. And so, no, I have never played any of those. Okay, fair enough. Um, I did play a little bit of The Walking Dead, and I watched lots of streams of the Telltale Batman games. Uh, If you're unfamiliar, uh, Dramatic Games was put together from uh, a lot of the people that worked at Telltale Games. Uh, They're story-driven, choice-driven, narrative-driven games. And in the early early teasers and clips you've seen from Star Trek Resurgence, it feels very much like it it is not like an action-packed Star Trek game uh, as has been in the past. It is dialogue heavy it's choices it's decisions it's some diplomacy it's some politics it's it's very tng is what i'll say it's very tng and i mean that in a good way it's like it felt like a really good three-part episode of the next generation where also spock is in it uh, because Ambassador Spock is in this game. Uh, I will also say the voice actor they got is doing a surprisingly good imitation of Le- Leonard Nimoy, doing a really good job. Uh, hold on just a second. I'll be right back, Heather. Had an alarm going off. That's not good. Okay. All right, so I was saying the voice actor they got to play Ambassador Spock, uh, because again, Spock is the most important character in Star Trek. Uh, Leonard Nimoy, they they got a voice actor to imitate him, and he's doing a really good job. And there are officers, there are crewmen. There's a conflict between two alien planets. I'm really interested in this game and I don't play a lot of video games anymore, but this one is right up my alley and I'm really excited for it because it feels like the people behind this game really love Star Trek and they really understand it. And I'm really looking forward to it. Well, that is always a plus to have people who just love the franchise and understand it. Uh, 
be the creators behind it. I think that is one of the things that has kept Star Trek uh, so prevalent for so long is to just have the fans grow and ultimately end up being the ones creating it down the line. So it's a good that's, thing. that's why we're all here. That that is why we're still here today, fifty six years later. And, and I'm gonna try to make it to fifty six year mission. I'm doing my my hot nerd summer where I'm going both to Oticon and I think I'm gonna I'm 99% sure I'm doing Star Trek Las Vegas, too. It's it's like a 99% certainty that I'm doing both of these giant conventions. So I'm excited for that. So at least until we have some new Star Trek, I have that to look forward to. Absolutely. Heather, tell me what you've got going on. Tell the merchants listening what you've got going on before we get out of here. Well, you know, I am tentatively working on a new podcast project, which I am really excited about. And uh, I'm not ready to completely share details yet, but I want to put it out there to anyone who is listening. If you are a Star Trek fan and you are a Law & Order SVU fan and might be interested in talking with us about uh, Star Trek episodes that would have benefited from Olivia Benson showing up because they're a bit traumatic. Uh, find me on the Twitterverse, NerdyGal33, and reach out and we will have some discussions in the near future. Looking forward to that. And everybody, once again, follow Heather on Twitter at NerdyGal33. Don't follow me on Twitter. I'm terrible. Just don't. Uh, you can follow the podcast at PromTrekPod, P-R-O-M-T-R-E-K-P to the O to the D, PromTrekPod. Thank you for listening to the Promenade Merchants podcast. We are available wherever you get your podcasts, be it Spotify, be it Amazon Music, be it Google, be it Stitcher Radio. We're, we're everywhere. We're, we're, you can't escape us. You can't escape my problematic behind, and you can't escape Heather calling out Strange New Worlds when it needs to be called out. So, yeah. Enjoy the podcast, everybody. Give it a listen. Heather, thank you always for doing this with me. Thank everyone out there for listening. And until next time, live long and don't tweet. 